Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for bringing us all here together in this place, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to learn more about you, Father, and to learn about your greatness that is so great that, as we discovered earlier today, that even if we were to be silent, the rocks themselves, nature itself would cry out and talk about how great you are, Lord. And you've chosen to reveal that greatness to each and every one of us in a personal way. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today at Church of the Advent Hope, we are excited to start our new series. So we just finished the Is This Good News series, which was great. We had a great time doing it. It was a big blessing. And now we are transitioning over to still good news, but now good news focusing on the book of Colossians. So we're going to begin a series diving deep into this book of Colossians, which is a small but very powerful book that basically is all about Jesus. Now, I could, I could probably say that about any book in the Bible, but it's still true about this one, that this book is definitely all about Jesus. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what that means for you, for me, and for all of humanity. And one of the biggest things Jesus does for us that we can see in this passage is that Jesus answers that all-important question, who is God? Who is God? Now, turn with me back to our text of emphasis, which is in Colossians uh, chapter 1, and now I'll be reading verses 9 through 12, as we kind of see the beginning of this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and this first message that he's kind of starting out with as he begins his series of, you know, advice and counsel. And he writes, For this reason we also since the day we heard it, did not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. So here this first thing that, this first message that Paul is super excited to, to bring to the church in Colossae is basically he's trying to say, hey guys, we're praying nonstop, we're working nonstop, me and my partners in the gospel. This is a big deal for us. This is something that's really important to us. We really, really want you to know who God is. That it seems to be a matter of supreme importance for Paul. He's been praying, his people are praying, they've been working hard because they really want the church in Colossae, Colossae to get this really important point. They want them to understand who God is. Almost as if you're introducing a really good friend to somebody else. And, and I, you know, as if I were to go to my friend and like, hey, you really have to meet this guy. You know, he's super cool, fun to be around, funny, you know, anything you could say. As if he's excited to make this introduction to this group of people. Although, when you're introducing a friend, you know, you might be introducing one friend to another because that friend might enjoy that other person's company or maybe that person can help them out with maybe finding a job or like reaching some new social hierarchy standard or something like that. But the reason that Paul wants to introduce God to the people of Colossae is so much deeper, so much more important. Because according to Paul, he says that when a knowledge of, along with a knowledge of God and along with an increase in the knowledge of God, comes things like strength from God's power, patience and long-suffering for when you endure things like trials and hardships and disappointment and joy, you know, filled with joy. And not only that, an increase of the knowledge of God will help people to appreciate the great and wonderful purpose that God has for their lives. 
the fact that God has qualified them to be inheritors, you know, to become inheritors, I think that's the word, of this, um, of this great future, of this great purposeful and meaningful life. An increase of the knowledge of God will bring all these good things to the people of Colossae. So that's why Paul and his, and his workers and his, and his fellow church members are pushing this so hard right at the beginning of the book is that they really, really, really want the people to know who God is. But that's the problem. How do we really know who God is? Paul's saying that God is good. Paul's saying that God is uh, long-suffering, that God is patient, that God brings joy. But how do I know that? That's just what Paul's saying. Yeah? That might be Paul's experience, but what if it's not my own? See, the thing is about introducing one friend to another is that when I introduce my friend to another friend, they meet each other and they talk and that's it. I don't have to do anything else. But how is Paul supposed to introduce a God to a people that, you know, they can't see? They can't see God. They can't really talk to him the way I would talk to a friend. How do they really get to know who God is? Where is the tangible thing they could look at? Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Where can they really see how God is instead of just go off basically what Paul said? And that's a question that Christians and people and all of humanity has really struggled with. How do we really know who God is? Because I believe God to be one thing, but sometimes I see things that make me think otherwise. And this struggle is seen all over, through, uh, all over the Bible. Turn with me to the book of Psalms chapter 44. Psalms chapter 44, looking at this conflict of how can we really know who God is when there seems to be so many different you know, evidences or, or factors, so many different things pointing in different directions. How can we know what's God and what's not? Psalms chapter 44, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 3 and then skipping down to verses 9 through 12. And it reads, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us that deeds you did in their days, in the days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them, but it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. But if we skip down to verse 9, it says, but you have cast us off and put us to shame. You do not go out with our armies. You make us turn back from our enemies and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves you have given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations you sell your people for next to nothing and are not enriched by selling them this conflict this this debate here we see these people of israel who are supposed to be god's people and they say god we know our fathers have told us that in their day you did this great and awesome saving work and you, with your strong hand, reached in and pulled them out and delivered them when they weren't strong enough to save themselves. But for us, we feel like you've cast us off, like you've done the opposite. Instead of save us, you've given us up. Instead of delivering us, you've given us for food. You've sold us. And not even sold us that you would benefit. You've just done it just because. It's not like your life is improved by it, but you've chosen to do it anyway. So what do we do when we see these seemingly conflicting ideas in our life that God is loving and at the same time God is not how do we know who God really is because I might believe that God is one thing or I might have heard that God is one thing but my life experience has told me that God is something else or somebody else's life experience has told them that God is something else or maybe in my own life experience I've had one instance where I've prayed for something and I have believed and God has answered my prayer 
or I've had one difficulty that I've struggled with and God has delivered me from, but in another aspect of my life, there's no deliverance. And all I see is failure and misery and, and no help. And in fact, I feel like I'm almost being given away instead of being rescued. How do I cope with these two different realities, these seemingly contradicting experiences I have in life? How do I both see, how can God both be this and be this at the same time? How do I know which one is who he really is? What's the face and what's the real God? See, that's the difficult thing about relationships because relationships aren't really transferable. You know, just because I'm friends with somebody and good friends with another person doesn't mean they're going to be good friends with each other. And I think in life, we might have, in, in, in our own personal experiences, two good friends that can't stand each other. They might like you, but they might not work well with each other. Just because I have a good relationship doesn't mean that somebody else will have a good relationship with somebody else. And so, but just because Paul has a good experience with God doesn't mean I have a good experience with God. doesn't mean that I believe that God is good. doesn't mean that I believe that God is joyful or that God gives purpose and meaning and that God is able to fill my life with all these amazing things that Paul is claiming that the church in Colossae can receive through a knowledge of God. What do I have to go on? How can I really know what God is besides just Paul's own personal experience or somebody else's personal testimony? Those can be powerful, but how do I know? How do I really know what God is like? Because I can't see him. You know, I can't talk to him. I can't interact with him. It can feel so hard to develop a relationship with someone you can't spend, you seemingly can't spend any time with. And God is aware because God knows our human weakness. God knows the state we're in. God knows that it's hard for us to relate to things we can't see. Just as people, that's a fact. That's how it is. And God knows us and God understands. And that's why God found a solution to this problem. God found a solution to the for the people who were trying to relate to a God that they couldn't see. Because just, just like in this passage, God has shown his love in several ways, and the people even acknowledge that God has shown love, but at the same time, they're still struggling to really get the full picture of God. Even though God has revealed himself, they still need a greater revelation. And so God sent the greatest revelation of all. Turn back with me to the book of first, oh, I was going to say it again, back of Colossians. Book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we will continue where we left off, and we will start in verse 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and it reads, He has delivered us from the powers of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. My brothers and sisters, when humanity asked who is God, God sent us Jesus. God sent us Jesus to show us who he is. And in fact, in this very passage, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the thing we can't see. He is the image of the thing we feel like we can't relate to. He is not just this, you know, mystical creature or this otherworldly being. He came down just like you and me 
to be a person just like us, to be a person that we could talk to, to be a person that we could relate to, to be a person that we can experience, to, a person, to be a person that we could finally feel and understand and interact with and gain a greater sense of understanding of. He became the greatest revelation of the character of God. Now, is it to say that Jesus, you know, kind of just looked like God, or God, Jesus was just a representative of God? Because it says he's the image of the invisible God. And so when I think of an image, I kind of think of two people that look like each other. And I know for me, in my personal experience, one person, I guess the person that looks more like me than anybody else would probably have to be my brother Elijah, who's sitting right there. We're pretty close in age, and I don't think we actually look that much alike, but many, many people over the years have come to me and called me Elijah, or have come to him and called him Jeremiah, and it happens all the time. And no more clearly was this problem manifested than in my high school graduation. So in my high school graduation, you know, I'm going, I'm graduating, I'm going to like different church events and parties. They throw parties for people that are graduating. And, and my brother came to me at the end of the day and he was expressing his frustration because he said so many people were coming up to him and saying, oh, congratulations on graduating. And he had to look back at them and say, oh, uh, no, no, I'm not graduating, that's my brother. And, and more people would come up to him and say, oh, hey, congratulations for graduating. And he said, no, 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 still my brother. And I was, I was wearing a graduation gown. I don't understand what was so confusing for everybody, but it didn't matter. They just kept coming up to Elijah and saying, congratulations, congratulations. This happened so much to the point that Elijah got kind of frustrated, and he told me that by the time the last person came up to him, you know, and they were like, hey, congratulations for graduating, man. He looked back at them and was like, oh, thank you, and just left. No more explaining, but, but is this what, what Paul is talking about here? Is Jesus just merely a representative of God? Is Jesus kind of just, does he kind of just look enough like God that we kind of get the picture of who God is? Well, no. Jesus doesn't, doesn't look like God. Jesus is God. Jesus and God are the same. Jesus and God are one. And we see this in the passage because it does say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, but it continues. It says, by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things can consist. So here, not only is Jesus described as the image of the invisible God, but he's described as the creator of everything, as the sustainer of everything. Everything was created through Jesus, and everything is a continues to exist because Jesus sustains it and because Jesus allows it to happen. These are traits that we attribute to God. These are things that we say God does. God is the one that creates everyone. God is the one that sustains everything. And that's because Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, that means Jesus can do exactly what it says here in verse 13 or in, and in verse 14 where it says that he is the, the person that delivers us from darkness and through his blood we have redemption and we have right standing and we are forgiven of our sins and we're, you know, forgiven of our shortcomings and we're made right with God again. So because Jesus is God, he has the ability to save us from our sins. He has the ability to deliver us from our transgressions. He has the ability to give us purpose and meaning in life. But also because Jesus is God, he has the ability to do all those wonderful things and on top of that, Jesus has the ability to show us who God really is. The person of Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the character of God. We know who God is because we've seen Jesus and because we've seen what Jesus is like. And Jesus is God. That same Jesus who said that he was the good shepherd, who leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one that's lost because he cares even for the one soul that's lost and that's hurting. 
That's who God is. The God, the, the Jesus who said that he came to serve and not be served. The, the, sorry. Yes, to serve, no. To, yes, to serve and not be served, sorry. Who came to serve and not be served and to be a, a humble servant for those who need it. That's who God is. When Jesus said that, the same Jesus that said that he came to bring healing to those who are broken, to bring freedom to those who are captive, to show love to people that didn't receive love, that's who God is. Jesus is God. And because we know Jesus, we can finally know who God is. Jesus doesn't save us from God. Jesus is God. Jesus shows us how God has been, how God is, and how God will be forever. Jesus doesn't change God. Jesus shows us our, how God has always been. He corrects our misconceptions of who God is, and he shows us that God really is this person that Paul is proclaiming, that Paul is so excited to share about, that Paul is praying nonstop because he just wants these people to know this God, this God that Jesus came and revealed to him, this God of love, this God of service, and this God of meaning and purpose and of value. And not only is Jesus the representative of God, but he is also the head of our church. He is the head of this body, which means that not only does God, does Jesus show us who God is, but we have the opportunity to point people toward Jesus. So we have the opportunity to point people to who God really is. We have the chance to show people this Jesus that's come to clear up all their misconceptions, to, to deal with all their doubts, to heal all their brokenness. We have a chance to point people to God because we have a chance to point people toward Jesus. My brothers and sisters, creation, humanity cried out asking, who is God? And God sent himself to us. And we are better and blessed and can now share to everyone around us because of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ.